This podcast is brought to you by Aetna. Learn how Aetna is working to build a healthier world by visiting aetnastory.com. Dora, have you given any thought as to how you want to bring in 2020? I can't believe it's so close that the year is coming to an end and we're coming into a new year. Yes, we're hosting in partnership with the Gasparilla Inn a wellness experience on January 27th in Boca Grande, Florida. What's going to happen down there? We're going to be doing cooking demonstrations. We're going to be walking on the beach. We're going to be doing yoga every morning. We're going to be learning from world-class teachers on how to take better care of ourselves. I mean, it's just going to be amazing. So go to our website, bbrconsulting.us, to learn more and to sign up. And we look forward to seeing you on January 27th. Can't wait to see you all there. People are yearning for information. Having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. Vinny Ferraro has been a practitioner of insight meditation since the mid-90s. He is a co-founder of the Dharma Punks, and he's been the guiding teacher of a Sangha in San Francisco for 15 years. He is also a nationally recognized leader in designing and implementing interventions for at-risk adolescents and is a senior trainer for Mindful Schools. Trisha and I want to begin today's podcast by reciting part of a poem we heard our guest recite recently. It's a poem that we believe sums up the life of Vinnie Ferraro. This is an excerpt from What to Remember When Waking by David White. You are not a troubled guest on this earth. You are not an accident amidst other accidents. You were invited from another and greater night than the one from which you have just emerged. Now, looking through the slanting light of the morning window toward the mountain presence of everything that can be what urgency calls you to your one love, what shape waits in the seed of you to grow and spread its branches against a future sky? Please welcome Vinny Ferraro to Health Gig. Vinny, your story is well documented, and many people have heard it, but for those who don't know your story, can you tell us about some of the struggles you've overcome to get where you are today? Yeah, I was born into a pretty wild house, into a pretty wild family. By wild, I mean uh, lots of drugs and violence and crime, lots of pressures, I'm sure, on my parents that I can't even imagine. You know, having three kids in their early 20s, my parents were holding a lot. I guess we were in a different time as well, right? Where therapy and all this self-help stuff that we are living in now, the context that we're living in, wasn't true in 1970. It was just a really different context. And so I grew up, you know, like everyone with my own difficulties. And mine might be more dramatic than some people's and less dramatic than others. My father did a lot of time incarcerated, and addiction was a big part of my world growing up, seeing uh, family members addicted. I guess my greatest hope was that I would grow up and go to prison so I could be with the other men in my family. I never kind of thought about that outside of the paradigm that that's where I was headed. I always assumed that I didn't see a lot of models otherwise. So I guess I had a low bar of what I thought was possible for my life. By the time I was 20 years old, things had shifted and I 
started seeing different possibilities, and that was life-changing for me. We've heard you talk a lot about facing pain. How did you face your own pain, and how do you teach and encourage others to face their own pain? Yeah, I guess mindfulness is the best answer I have. You know, it's not a silver bullet, but I have found that it helps most of us, really high percentage of us, come back into relationship with ourselves, with our bodies. When the mind is not offering up anything helpful, we have to direct our attention to a different dimension of our experience. And that's what mindfulness taught me how to do, how to direct my awareness. Because I felt rather hijacked by the mind, by my fear, by my judgments, and felt like I didn't have much of a choice. These thoughts were just arising. It makes sense biologically since we're the ancestors of the nervous animals. These nervous systems are just on hypervigilant, always tracking for danger, always trying to protect us in some way. And what happens is we end up cutting off from life because we're so enamored and inundated with the thinking mind. So a lot of what mindfulness taught me how to do was to let those things come and go and not take them too personally and rest in a dimension that was deeper than thought. And that really gave me my life back. And that was the beginning of the path. And then it was like, okay, how do I not make things worse? Because things seem hard enough, you know, losing people, seeing people struggle with the throes of addiction or poverty or incarceration, all of these things make life difficult. But we have a choice on how we respond to those things. And what I woke up to when I started practicing mindfulness was the ways that I was making that harder than it needed to be. So first, there was the choice mindfulness gave me. Do I have to be hijacked? Second, there was another choice of where am I putting my attention? Is this a worthy place for my attention? And then we get into what are we going to do with this huge awareness that we have, this great, it's almost like a superpower in my mind. And it's like, oh, you can put it on your body or on your heart or on the emotional body, all these different places. And the mind will keep tapping us on the shoulder. No, 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 hold up. Wait, 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 wait. I got something. I Here's some insight. Here's some wisdom. It's okay for us, even if it's only a half an hour a day, to say, not right now. I'm chilling. I'm paying attention to a different part of my experience, a more direct experience, and not just a shadow world of the mind. So that helps us begin to approach the difficulties in life with a bit more choice and not so much desperation. Yeah, that's my experience. In a way, you've been able to transform by focusing your attention on something other than what would normally be what people would put their attention on. Yeah, yeah. Well, I might say it like this. I believe in the alchemy of presence. So I believe that we bless things in a certain way with our presence and give them room to transform into something maybe nourishing or something insightful. It's never just one thing. It's not just, oh, well, this is just pain and this is just bad. If we approach it like that, then it stays in that context and it stays in that reality. But when we can start opening to, let's say, my anxiety. Anxiety is something I struggled with over the course of my life, and I used to have a really bad claustrophobia, and intense kind of uh, almost panic attacks. And now I could say uh, 90% of that is gone. I don't suffer in those same ways that I used to, but it was because I was 
you know, not judge myself for having it and just say, okay, what is this feeling in my chest, this fluttering? What are the constellation of sensations and feelings that are happening that are leading me to this label called anxiety? Once we're able to see things as a doorway instead of an obstacle, then we see that whatever we think was in the way is the way. And that becomes very exciting because these things present themselves like they're a problem. And as long as we orient toward them like that, they continue to be. But once we see, oh, wow, I don't know that I would be a meditation teacher if I didn't have this anxiety. I don't know, you know, so many gifts have come from this searching for how to be okay in my own skin that now my anxiety is on my gratitude list. So we can take things that we think are curses and turn them into blessings in a certain way through this alchemy of presence. Vinny, you know, our world seems more fractured and divided than ever. How do you envision mindfulness healing our fractured world? I think it's a great question. What is really fractured? What is it? If I were going to put it on one thing in particular, I would say our awareness is so fragmented. You know, we're all doing three or four things at once. Eating, and you know, the TV's on in the background, and I'm talking to somebody, and there's something in front of me that I might be reading. It's just like we are just not used to doing any one thing anymore. Part of the fragmentation that we feel is our own awareness, our own experience of the world. And then that gets extrapolated out in all directions, right? Everything we see is fragmented. So I feel like before I came to practice, I was going through the motions, skimming the buffet of my life, never quite as real as advertised, any of it. And then I came to practice and there was a bit more of embodiment. I was like, oh no, you can just sit here and eat, or you can just walk through this path in this forest and just feel what it feels like to be present in your life. I think if everybody spent a little bit of time just connecting in with themselves, we would live in a different world. I believe that. But it's work, and not a lot of people want to do that work. You know, it's easy to read about it. You know, you read these amazing books about meditation, and it's just like, wow, that's not what it feels like for me. I'd much rather read about this meditation teacher's experience. Sounds so good. But it really is about bringing the practice home because that's where the healing is needed to come into right relationship with what is. What does it mean to come home? Well, like I said, maybe I know the pain of exile more than most. I knew what it felt like to be very uncomfortable in my experience. And so that sent me running through addiction, through relationships, through any way I could run, right? Even food. There's a thousand ways to check out. And so I felt like at some point my life just became too painful to endure. And so I decided to check out, you know, out of self-protection. Makes sense to me. Having not a lot of skills, I just needed to continue to move forward. And I kind of betrayed myself in a certain way. I left myself, you know, however beautiful and innocent and naive we are when we're born. There's an incorruptible and untarnishable beauty to us. And I think that's why we all fall in love with children. You know, we look at them and we see that purity. It's so beautiful. But when I look back, even by the time I was five years old, I was looking at my kindergarten picture and I could see 
me leaving myself because of what I was exposed to, how I felt in my body, not feeling safe or seen or valued, any of the things that we are. Uh, many of us struggle with. So I guess I could say I had an estranged relationship to myself because of this armoring that I was putting around my heart, trying to figure out how to protect myself because I am a very sensitive person and I didn't grow up in a sensitive environment. So I had to figure out this protection that we talk about, this armoring of the heart. And so that leaves us living a short distance from our bodies, from our life, from what's alive in us because we're so busy enduring this life. So when I talk about coming home, I mean coming home to our experience just as it is. Not when I get better, not when I lose this weight, not when I find a teacher or get the practice or, you know, there's so many ways we postpone arrival. And we are just not willing to do that anymore. I'm not willing to cheat on today because of my fear of tomorrow or my hope for tomorrow. It's like, whatever that's going to be, that's what's going to be. But today I get to be here in this body just as it is. And there's a peace in that. Not that it's all perfect. Not that I'm not striving to improve, but there can be a violence in this unending self-improvement that so many of us are devoted to. And I just don't want to be violent anymore. Talk to us about the delusion of separateness. Well, it's said that all paths have the same aim. I just think that's such a broad statement. Like, what could every path have in common? It boggles the mind. You know, the second half of that, all paths have the same aim, and that is to save us from the calamity of a separate existence. So we take ourselves to be separate, and that is a real delusion. And any time we actually step outside of ourselves and feel something greater than ourselves, even the love of service, it's not me doing it. The ego falls away for a moment. And so I try to do as many things as possible that lead me away from this small contracted self that's trying so hard to be worthy of love, to be a good person, to, you know, all of that stuff. And it's just like, hey, there's a reality that's waiting for us. Again, like I said earlier, that's untarnishable, uncorruptible, no matter what we've done, no matter what's been done to us. There's an intrinsic value here. That's what the path delivers me from. It cuts back to the poem that you read at the beginning. I'm not this selfish little clod of ailments that the mind would have me think I am. So in a way, it's just like, please, just don't believe everything you think. It's just a mind. It's, it's not personal. Vinny, you touched on self-compassion earlier. How important is it to develop compassion for ourselves and for others in the world? How important is that? It's a key. I don't think you can really do it otherwise, as far as like real insight arising from a place that doesn't get to include ourselves. You know, a lot of us are good at being compassionate. You know, we see the children in our lives, the people that are in need, and, you know, we read the headlines and immediately when a tragedy happens, compassion arises, right? Naturally. We don't have to learn that. There's just a natural compassion. 
my two-year-old, when he sees somebody crying, he gets sad. We didn't teach him that. He just knows that he's connected to that person in some way. And so he has that compassionate response. I think where a lot of us get caught up is including ourselves in that. I think the reason is when we see the sufferings of the world, you know, suffering with a big S, right? When we see what's happening in other parts of the world, we're just like, oh, I don't have problems. It's easy to diminish our suffering, but I think something gets missed, a really big part of being able to set a placemat at the table for ourselves to be served compassion. It's not enough to just be compassionate to the world and leave ourselves out. So I feel like the self-compassion piece, which is the hardest for many of us. And when people talk to me about having a problem developing or cultivating compassion, it's because many of us have learned how to actually tend to pain. You know, it's counterintuitive to move toward what's painful. And that's what compassion asks us to do. It's just a simple truth that I care about the difficulties in the world and my own. I'm a big fan of self-compassion. There's lots of books on it now, and I, I think it's a great field for us to come home in that way to ourselves, because no matter how dramatic your details are, life is difficult for every single one of us. That's my pitch around self-compassion. Let's yeah. not leave ourselves out. Yeah, and if we don't learn to embrace our differences and develop compassion, we might not stand a very good chance of healing the world. Again, this cuts back to your question about the separate self. What person is an island? You know, who is not affected by almost everything? For me, it's just about living in the truth of our interconnectedness. I'm dependent on hundreds and hundreds of people every day. Martin Luther King had a beautiful writing about opening his refrigerator and seeing the whole world the whole world in his kitchen because so many people were responsible for getting this food to him. So I just feel like it's part of living in the truth. How about forgiveness? Whew. That's a big one. <laughs> it's complicated. It can be complicated for many of us. You know, my teacher says <laughs> forgiveness is giving up the hope for a better past. Who can we finally let go of wishing that it was different? really discerning between the actor and the action. You know, some actions are totally unforgivable, but the actor is always forgivable. Now, another point of discernment around forgiveness is just because I forgive someone doesn't mean I condone what they did. It just means that I can accept that it happened. That's different than condoning it or saying it was just. But we get so caught up in arguing the injustice of it. It could have been very well unjust and unforgivable action again. But we have to be able to discern also between inviting someone back into our hearts because we don't want to hold the ill will toward anyone. That's a poison we take expecting someone else to die. When we're no longer willing to swallow the poison of ill will, we know we have to forgive, but that doesn't have anything to do with inviting someone back into our house. That could be a very toxic relationship. It could not be healthy in many different ways. So there's a difference between forgiving someone and welcoming them back into our homes. So there's some discernment needed, but in terms of 
I guess the question, how it expresses itself in my own practice is like, okay, we get it. I've been wronged. And the question becomes, okay, do you want to be right or do you want to be free? Oh, true. Yeah. You touched on this earlier, and that is service. What do you see the role of service to be in the mindfulness movement? And how can people incorporate service into their lives to become more mindful? I would say the practice of mindfulness really saved my life. And then I would say service gave me a life worth living. That's what made it possible for me to believe that even somebody like me had something to offer. Because I didn't grow up with a high value of myself. When I first got into service, it was 1987, somebody asked me to share a story and I felt that light go on that said, you could be a part of something beautiful. You have something to offer. There's value here. And so that really turned me on. And that moment, that was a pivot point in my life. So service has been a part of my life in different ways since that moment. I think that contentment, that gratitude, that these really wholesome qualities can be expressed in service. Generosity, gratitude, contentment, all that comes from feeling like I have enough and I can offer some of whatever, you know, and sometimes it's just our presence. It's not like I got to give money in particular. You know, some of us have more money than time, but some of us, it's just a, where is my heart needed most? Based on my gifts, based on my resources, my life, what I've been through, whatever insights I have. So what is the knowing that I want to share? And for me, that was uh, really around value. So I work in prisons and I do three groups a week in incarcerated populations. Why? Because there wasn't ever a time in my life I didn't know what prison was. Because I speak the language of those institutions, I know what it feels like to be really exiled. That's where my heart's needed most. You know, for a decade it was in the schools because I felt like, wow, we got to get to these kids younger. You know, if we could teach them this social, emotional intelligence, if we could give them a little practice for navigating this life, give them a compass, you know, it may take a generation or two, but we'll live in a much different world if people orient toward themselves as worthy of their own care, their own attention, and that they are valuable. So whoever I'm in front of, that's what I'm trying to reflect back. Now, you might have a very different message, right, based on what you've learned or what you've tended to, the insights that arose out of that. So we each get to offer what we have found helpful. And I feel like a life without service is an incomplete life. So as my hope is whoever is listening to this feels some pang to help. And that's not like uh, me helping the less fortunate. You know, that's just another trap for the ego. Just like if you sprain your ankle, your body will begin to heal it. There's no kind of extortion. There's no kind of like, wow, I'm going to really come through for my ankle. You know, my body is going to really help that poor twisted ankle. No, it just begins to heal because that's a part of you. So in the same way, when we locate ourselves as part of the world, as wild and messy and, you know, as it is, we want to be of service to that. And then we don't feel so alone. That's a byproduct of it. You know, when we're willing to say, here I am, sad and beautiful world, and 
I'm a part of it and I'm going to contribute how I can. And I just think that's so beautiful. And it's not based on giving and getting. It's just based on a desire to help. And to be able to learn to maybe make your life a practice. Yeah, that would be, that's the big game. That's you know? the big It is, you know, because as long as our practice is relegated to however many minutes on a cushion, it's like, look, I want it to be seamless. I want my practice to be when I'm in the grocery store, when I'm walking down the street. You know, when I'm on the airport yesterday, waiting an hour and a half in a line that doesn't seem to be moving. It's like, okay, where's your practice now, Jack? <laughs> you know, it's got to be an integrated practice, right? Otherwise, it's just too small of a fraction of our lives. And probably learning to accept the fact that sometimes we need training wheels, right? That <laughs> Yeah, well said. It's being in that moment with your compassion for yourself, right? To, yeah. to be able to be of service in that moment. And as you said, maybe it's not helping the poor because yeah. that moment being in service almost to yourself is what I think you're saying. You know, I have to sit with a lot of different kinds of people. Yesterday I was in Seattle sitting with people. So sitting there, maybe three or 400 people. And it's like the common theme I hear over and over and over is this subtle kind of frustration with themselves. You know, and it's almost like they feel like they're going to hate themselves into becoming a better person. You know, and it's the extortion of just like, you know, I'll love you when you start acting right. And it's like, when in the history of humanity has that ever worked? I mean, my whole family would be enlightened if that led to enlightenment, but it doesn't. It just leads us to feeling, again, kind of exiled from our experience. And then we're all trying to be good instead of whole. Can I accept the full life catastrophe? You know, the things that I'm proud of and the things I've been trying to change for years. Can I just say time out and for the next half hour, I'm going to just give up all my demands on this moment being a certain way, all my demands on me being a certain way. Get away from this tyranny of perfection that so many of us try to live in and actually give ourselves a pardon for not being perfect. And there's just so much uh, sweetness in that arrival that says, come on in. It's okay. I'm here with you. I'll sit with you. And I put my hand on my belly a lot or on my heart and just hold myself, hold my experience. You're okay here. This is not something you can do wrong. This is not something you have to be worthy of. <sighs> this is homecoming. I got you. It's okay. So it's a refuge from all the evaluation and all the judgment. Mm-hmm. Vinny, we love talking to you today. We love your message of acceptance and your gigantic heart just comes through on the podcast and certainly comes through when we are with you. And we actually love you a lot. We just thank you. And your thoughts on how we can heal a fractured world is so important and one that we're going to be reflecting on a lot. Cool. Really nice to connect with y'all. And may you be well. Thank you, Vinny. Okay, see you in another dream. Yeah. Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doro. Be well. <laughs>